You're tuned to Once Upon a Fairy Tale. Hey, welcome to Once Upon a Fairy Tale, the podcast. It's Disney Dwayne here. Hope you've been enjoying our series so far. And if you haven't subscribed, we're available on iTunes as well as SoundCloud. We're also available on the Disney Dwayne channel on YouTube. Part of this series includes bringing you interviews with people that make Disney magic happen. And so in this episode, we have the honor of speaking to one such person that made some of the Disney magic at Shanghai Disneyland happen. So let's have a chat now with Josh Stedman. He production designed a lot of uh, Shanghai Disneyland. And so we're here to ask questions. Let's start at the, at the beginning. What are the some of the official requirements for being an Imagineer? In other words, also, how does one become an Imagineer? It's a good question. Um, let me just state and back up a little bit. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be an Imagineer. And I would say that most of my fellow Imagineers and coworkers um, at the Disney company probably fell in that same category. My parents took me to Disneyland when I was six years old. And I remember very distinctly, I'm nearly 40 now, so it was a long time ago. I remember a clock actually at the front of Tomorrowland. It used to be based at the head of Tomorrowland, but there was this statue and it was a clock and it was a called, I think it was called the Clock of Tomorrow or the Clock of World Time or something. Uh, Rolly Crump actually designed it from what I understand. And on the top was this big gold copper statue of the earth. And then it was a sundial really. And at any time of the day, the sun would hit this thing, light up one of these little switches on the sides of it. It would tell the time of where you were basically in Southern California, but also tell the time on the ground as a sundial of other parts of the world. But I remember seeing that statue at six years old, nearly almost seven years old and going, wow, that's a cool design. Ever since my parents took me to the park and I saw things like that, uh, of that nature and seeing America Sings, which was another thing that was based in Tomorrowland at the time, which is now where interventions are or where it is, I should say. Right. Uh, and the world of tomorrow. And But by the way, all this is gone, right? The clock tower and... Yeah, it's not there anymore. Right. Um, since they've redone and remodeled Tomorrowland, and now um, you know I, they're they're always continuously improving and updating things in the parks. So, but I remember thinking that was a great design. I remember thinking as a small child, wondering how they designed it and what was the process. And maybe I sound like a crazy person, but my whole life has been motivated by great design, um, seeing awesome things, trying to figure out how they did it trying to figure out what the design process was behind it. So to answer your question with that little mini story, mm -hmm. I would have to say my life, as far as the way I pursued Imagineering, was to study design, study it the best way I could, given an opportunity. I started my own major in a program at BYU when I was 22. I had been accepted to Art Center College of Design in Pasadena and couldn't afford the program there. It's very expensive. And so BYU offered me a full ride scholarship. I went to BYU under the auspicions that I'd be able to like create my own program based off what Art Center was doing. The reason why I say Art Center is because it was the only program in the US that had themed entertainment design right. um, at that period of time. So that means you could go, you could study how to be an Imagineer. There's no discourse and there was no menu or recipe on how to be Imagineer. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, also grew up watching shows on the Disney Channel called Imagineer This. The Disney Channel used to have all sorts of programs on how they designed 
um, different rides, how they design different parks. I remember watching a special on the Tower of Terror and being fascinated on that. And that opened in 1994. But I saw the special two years before that, that ride opened and I went, well, that is amazing. What an amazing story and what a great idea for an attraction. And at the time, several of the parks had free fall drop rides like Six Flags and Great America, but none of them built a story around it. And I think that was what fascinated me the most was the difference between an amusement park and a theme park. And there's a huge difference. And a lot of people don't know it if they're not like fascinated by this stuff like I was. But a theme park is themed design. It's taking people from what they know and dropping them to an alternate uh, universe and reality that exists only in that in that area. Right. So in that theme park. And that yep. fascinated me a lot. Right. Is Disney the only platform that someone can be as creative as an Imagineer? Oh, no, 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 not. I mean, now there's Universal and Universal Creative and what the people there are doing. Um, but I would say that Disney started it and they really right. started the base. How to design, themed design, theme park rides, theme park uh, environments, how to tell a story around something and then sell that story to your guests so that they live that story while they're there. To me, that fa this still fascinates me. Mm -hmm. uh, it excites me. Most of my friends that I worked with at WDI, um, people I had privilege of working alongside, were also fascinated by the same things. Right. Uh, it's really inspiring, you know, to, to be impressed so. by it and then to want to also do something and create your own. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, Dwayne, I know that you're you're that type of person. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I can create tell a lot in my mind. But so this is a good question. So for a person like me, <laughs> if I want to be an Imagineer, but I don't have any sort of like engineering training, you know, I don't know what goes on. Probably a lot of math. Does that work out for someone if they were? I'm interested? horrible at math. I'll just be the first person to admit to you, I'm terrible at math. I'm a flunk out when it comes to math. I force myself understand it through graduate school I got my master's degree in set design from UC Davis actually started at UC Irvine and was recruited by a famous production designer named John Iacobelli who's very well known in Hollywood and Los Angeles who's a dear friend of mine who taught me basically the hardest way of how to be a good set designer which is to draft scenery and understand math and be able to draft scenery by hand on giant 16 by 24 sheets of paper and draft every bit of that scenery. And as bad as I am at math, I would do sheets of drawings for plays and productions over and over and over again because my math was always wrong. So if that it says anything, um, I'm terrible at math. Right. However, places like Walt Disney Imagineering and at Universal, there are really talented people called show set designers. Mm -hmm. who work alongside production designers and they work alongside a lot of the creative directors who are the people that basically take that, they make them put in AutoCAD and they draft the scenery up. Um, and I tried as best as I could when I was at WDI to work alongside those people, learn from them and vice versa. Because a good, a good art director in my book or a good creative director is someone that can speak all those languages and can sit next to those people and make them feel a part of the team and get the right accurate information for what you're looking for. There isn't one attraction that doesn't take hundreds of people to build. Yeah. They all take tons of talent, tons of people that, that you, you don't know and you don't hear about. They're all behind the scenes designing, drafting, constructing, 
building props, building foliage, soft goods. I mean, it's 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 theater in a box that they throw together, put together, and it's not thrown together. By the way, that's not the right choice of right. words, but it's definitely something carefully that, crafted. Carefully crafted. Yeah, very good.、Uh, yeah, I see a lot of similarities. I mean, being in theater and now. Having written my own show and having a designer work on the show,、uh, who's a really good friend, and was really excited to hear, by the way, that、um, I was going to interview you.、Uh, and you kind of look the same. So a shout out to Matthew McCall, and I'm、cool. constantly impressed by all the things that you guys do. Part of my background was to get a fine art background, so I studied illustration. I studied fine art. I do do gallery work on the side of, of everything else that I've already done as well. And you know what? There's a lot of people who are very talented folks who are better at that stuff than I am. But I love it. I love art. Art motivates me. It's what gets me up in the morning. It is who I am. I'm a Renaissance guy in every respect of that word. I think I've studied theater. I've studied acting myself. But I have no problem learning, I guess, or trying to be educated or trying to study it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's、yeah. it's not everyone gets that opportunity. And I think the more you're open to learn, the more that you can instruct. The best teachers were once students, and the best. Students become teachers, and I think that's been a motivating factor for me my entire life. So teaching and learning,、um, I would say, the best Imagineers that I got to work with were of those type of people. They were incredible, incredible students and incredible teachers. Wow, so, sounds like it's been an amazing journey for you. Can you tell us any first up insider fun facts about Shanghai Disneyland that most people may not know about? I think what most people don't know is that that park was years in the making. I do know that at Imagineering, they they spent a long time trying to decide and study where the next Asian theme park would go.、Mm-hmm. Shanghai,、um, Shanghai's got a, a fascinating history of its own, and I love history. I'm a huge fan of history, and I try and study texts of history as much as possible. Because the more you know about history, the more you know about the present of time, right, and where we're at now. Right. But also, the more you understand culture and people, Shanghai was the number one economy in the world up until 1938, about 1939. So, if you if you do your really if you study your history on fashion and、um, interior design and architecture, Shanghai was a leading economy in a lot of those areas、uh, up until the Japanese invasion of World War II. So I can tell you all this because the attraction I worked on was based on Snow White and、um, her story, The Seven Dwarfs. And that was the、uh, one film that opened in China and did really, really well, from what I understand. Well, if you know the story of how it opened in Los Angeles, it opened in 1938. It cost a nickel to go see that movie. They got a bag of popcorn and they got a Coke, a Coca-Cola, as part of entrance into the film. Now, this was the Great Depression, right? Yeah.、Um, my grandmother went and saw that film with her brother, and、um, she could have told me. She told me many, many times that, that was the cost of the movie. Well, that movie made. I want to. I don't want to be misquoted, but I think it was around 36 million dollars is what it made in 1938. Wow! For wow. a nickel a piece. For a nickel, yeah. That that's how much reach it had and how much popularity it had. Yeah. So they flew it to Shanghai and it made almost the same equivalent of money. It was ragingly successful, mostly because it was a it was a princess with black hair and white skin, and、uh, the locals. The locals could basically relate to this character, this animated figure. I don't know all the history, and I I don't want to say anything I, that that is is an official, a, in, or in, factual. Yeah, it's not official, but factual. But a lot of the Chinese remember that film, and it influenced some Taiwanese brothers that started their own 
animation studio in Taiwan, and it did a lot of different things historically. Right. Um, the attraction I worked on, um, the main attraction I worked on, being the walkthrough inside the castle, is is kind of the, the jewel for that whole thing because it's based off Snow White, and it's a gift back to the Chinese people. Here's your princess again, and she's wow. in your castle. Own this princess; she belongs to you guys. And really, that that was what it was. Uh, right. Wow. And、yeah, this probably was the most successful princess out of of the whole string and lineup of princesses because it was so much more relatable. I mean, before Mulan, I mean, of course, happened. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, a lot of the a lot of the locals you would talk to them about Mulan, if they know any of the recent princesses, which a lot of them don't know because、um, you know Disney's a new product there. They might say that they don't really like Mulan because it doesn't look the way they are familiar with how Mulan was told as a story for them growing up. But Snow White was something they can relate to, and it's something they remember. And、um, it opened, and it was very successful, much like it opened and was successful in the United States back in 1938. Right. That's a fun insider fact. Thanks for that. And so, tell us a bit about the process of coming together and working on an attraction, and you know, and also trying to. Make sure that everyone's on the same page. What is it like from the original conception to the finished product? Well, I'll just tell you、um, the history of what and how I got involved. Sure. Based on my attraction,、um, because I every team is different, every attraction operates differently、uh, from concept to reality.、Mm-hmm. I was given. I got a phone call. It was about the 16th of December in 2011. I remember this very specifically because having grown up. A Disney fan and wanted to have been an Imagineer since a small child. I had given up on the idea of being an Imagineer a long, long time ago. So I started designing apps,、uh, smartphone apps. Then I started working on. I did a, a concert tour with Jay Z. I did Wipeout, the television show, all the illustrations for that show for a good five seasons. For ABC,、uh, worked on several other television shows, and then was doing some other projects when I got the call. And so. I went in for my interview, met this woman named Doris, who ended up becoming my producer. And she looked at my portfolio and she said, "You,、uh, you design things in a very interesting way." She goes, "How would you be interested in working on the castle?" And of course, I mean, who would have said no? You would have been、right. crazy to say no.、Yeah. So, I took the gig. At the time, she said I had five weeks from start to finish, to concept. Um, and storyboard and attraction for the inside of the castle, and it was supposed to be a walkthrough. And because I was not a full-time Disney employee at the time, I was outsourced.、Uh, I took the gig, and I said, "That sounds awesome." And so, I literally spent、uh, every waking hour for five weeks storyboarding.、Um, At the end of the day, the end count. I think I did something like 348 storyboards. I've lost count, but、wow. that were in either black and white tonal or they were in color. And so I was whipping these things out.、Uh, I gave myself several storyboards an hour for for the course of 24 hours. <laughs> right. Churning these things out. I also did the ground plan, the initial ground plans, and was meeting with. Her and Pam, our writer, and it was just the three of us in little rooms at WDI and trying to come up with an idea that would work for a walkthrough. And the walkthrough concepts at that point、uh, had not been approved, so this was something that was totally new. Doris wanted something unique, and because of my background in theater and my background in television, it was、um, 
it was a new challenge. It was awesome, and it was what I was used to. I was used to coming up with something really fast, designing scenery overnight, giving the scenery or uh, at least, at least the, the renderings to a shop, having the TD build it overnight, and the next thing you know, the set would be seen on television. That was what I was used to. Right. So Doris knew, she had the foresight, that that was the type of person she would need to get this project approved. And so we turned stuff out in a, in a rate that I've never since turned that type of work out before. Um, I worked around the clock, and it was right around Christmas, worked straight through Christmas, Second week of January, we brought in all the boards, storyboards, and Bob Iger and Bob Weiss were there, and um, Doris and Pam presented the concepts, and it was approved. The first stage of design uh, of concept was approved at that point, and it wow. was, we narrowed it down to a Snow White story because we felt, knowing that history that I already gave you on Snow White and Seven Dwarfs and how Snow White was something that the Chinese would be familiar with, why not put Snow White back in that castle? Uh, the castle is supposed to be represented or representational of all 13 princesses right now. Yep, that's what I heard. And initially, the concept was to have all 13 princesses represented in a walkthrough. And, and we all just kind of felt that that was probably not the best idea. It would be too much information for a guest to experience. So we boiled it down to Snow White pitched the concept it was approved and then set us on the next leg of design and the next leg of design at that point was to take the concept take the storyboard make a real ground plan they um, gave me a show set drafts person who at the time was a good friend of mine um, named, named Angel I'd worked with him before at another studio mm -hmm. and his desk was full with other projects but the guy helped as much as he could on getting a ground plan set for this walkthrough and so we set all sorts of designs up we narrowed it down we kept going back and willing away different walls that didn't need belong i make a long story very short we came up with a ground plan that worked and we needed here's the other thing what we were doing was very backwards i must say normally when you work on a dark ride or an attraction, you design the idea, the concept and the story way before the facility's ever finished. But this was not the case. The facility was done. The design of the castle was finished and been approved. And they were giving me a blank floor, but I had height restriction on walls. I had restrictions on where those walls met with staircases. It was difficult. Uh, I don't think I've ever designed anything that was that hard before or up to that point uh, as equally as hard because it was very restrictive. Interesting. So, Do you know why they designed the the castle first before the concept of anything in it? I think it just had to do with deadlines. What which deadlines came first, and right. because some of the older ideas that were made or suggested for the walkthrough were not approved, and so at this point um, we were behind schedule, and so it was a whole thing. We designed an attraction to fit within an existing space, which was um, not the norm. That's usually not how it works. It's the other way around. Right. The facility is designed way after the idea and the concept start, and then you build a building in a shell around a dark ride. So we did the opposite, and I also was asked to design a set that could be interchangeably or pulled out and redesigned or laid back in with other ideas of walkthroughs down the road. So it had to be walls that could be pulled out easily or reformatted and retrofitted to tell another story. That's awesome. So much, so much foresight. That's what Disney does. Yeah. So one more thing on this topic. Can you tell us in general what is key to Disney for an attraction? 
when you guys come together and discuss something, what are what are the key things that you look out for? Like, you know, the ticks off the boxes. And how do you agree on something? You have such amazing bunch of people in a room and everyone has great ideas. You know, who has the final say and how, how do you let go of, of something that you thought up of that maybe possibly doesn't work as well? My favorite memories as an Imagineer were in rooms with very talented people that I looked up to my whole entire life who were incredibly, incredibly talented Imagineers who had been there for years and years and years, who were very open to suggestion and ideas and would listen to anyone's opinion. I always, whenever I go back into a room today, by today's standards, and I'm asked to give concept or design or consult, I always reflect back on those moments at WDI where I was in rooms with very talented people who were very humble about the ideas that were being presented. In other words, good ideas can come from anywhere, and anybody in a room is equally able to give ideas that work at the end of the day for final product. So production coordinators, secretaries, people that all worked at WDI were equally asked to input. And we had amazing input from a lot of really great people. Having said that, we knew that story had to be very important. We knew that it had to um, entice the guests to walk up I want to say, I'm trying to remember the number, I think it's 86 stairs, sets of stairs, because the walkthrough starts on ground floor, first floor, and then um, a curtain flies up and you go up a set of stairs. And the stairs go around this helix, which is the rotunda inside the center of the castle. You end up on a platform, your line splits in, in two, and we have two sides to the walkthrough, there's the A side and the B side. Both are identical stories. So they both tell the story, same story. One had more real estate than the other side. Being one side, the walls came in on certain areas. The ceiling height dropped. We had to shrink our sets and we had to shrink uh, the special effects. We were sticking projectors and animatronics into pieces of the walkthrough that uh, it was difficult. There was a lot to fit. It was it was best, it, someone described it once as being a tiny music box fit within an even smaller space. You know, we have all these little like pieces of the puzzle that are moving and chiming together to sing the music. That's what it was. It was um, little cogs in a wheel. Brand was definitely important. Story was definitely important. And then how do you encompass the story or, or tell the story the right way so it's an adventure because it needed to be an adventure at the same time, exploratory. And then interactives. Um, early, early on, they asked me to, I think it was on a Monday, they said, can you come up with some concepts of what would be really great interactives for this attraction? And can you have them by Thursday or Friday? I'd never designed interactives before. Wow. Um, and I'm not an interactive designer. There are people that study that, that get master's degrees in that sort of thing. That was not me. Uh, I just knew as a fan, as a foamer, as I call them, as I call myself, Mm -hmm. something that would be interesting that would be an interactive. And all the princess films have a bubbling cauldron in them. They all have, um, there's certain elements that each Disney film tells and help tell that story, right? They're almost like chapter headings. Yep. And so I just came with what was obvious, bubbling cauldron book a book that comes to life which they had already had they saved that they saved scene one which is downstairs from previous incarnations but how could we now retell the story with that book that's what we did and then right. and then uh, the, later the animals on, also asked the kids to jump animals well so 
early on, Pam and Doris and I sat in this room. We said, what would be cool? Oh, what if the animals followed you on this path? What if they, they interacted with the guests? What if they're kind of like your little narr- narrators, right? Mm-hmm. They help tell the story and they, they lead you and guide you. Snow White's journey in her film and her story, she runs into the woods away from the evil stepmother, the queen, and she gets lost in the scary forest. Well, we knew that we were going to have a scary scene somewhere. We didn't know which one, you know, which scene would that be, but we we knew we needed to tell the story. That was a very important part of her story. So the woods being part of that story. And so the animals show up in the woods and they help guide you. And that's that scene. The scene that you see that's on the POV video now is the bird, the squirrel, the bunny and and the deer that help, you know, lead you along the way, basically. Right. And it's really exciting. I I bet there must have been, you know, um, thoughts about how scary do we make it because kids also are afraid after a certain point. And so I guess in my own head, I'm thinking the animals kind of make it safe to have to have that there. Which originally I have to tell you that scene was switched out because the second scene in the walkthrough was going to be. Um, the Evil Queen's dungeon, basically, the cauldron room. And we were asked to move those two scenes. And so we were building, we built this whole walkthrough as a full-scale mock-up on a soundstage in Glendale, California. Wow. And it took, yeah, it took seven months, me and the FX guys and um, some scenic artists from ABC Studios to build a full-fledged version of the walkthrough, scene by scene, with all the effects included, so that we could make sure that walkthrough number one would work the right way the right amount of people would be able to go through it and that it would be successful so we built the whole thing part and parcel to tell that story and we walked every executive through it to make sure it worked wow does that exact set get transferred over to the castle itself no like physically that set that set only was used for trial purposes and oh, then wow. and then we built the real thing in china and part of it some of it in Glendale, actually. Good right. portion of it in Glendale, good portion of it in China, in Shanghai. That's so, so at cool. that point, yeah, it's, I mean, it was a lot of pieces of a puzzle that all had to be fit, come together. And there were a lot of people involved. So um, it's pretty amazing. You know, I'm not, I'm not there right now, but to see it in video and see all the pieces come together so, um, so brilliantly and look so good is pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I bet it was a lot of hard work and more than any, you know, more than people can imagine, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's every attraction, too. There's so much work that goes into opening up a dark ride or any attraction for that matter. Right. Well, having said that, yeah. to, to wrap up this portion of the question, at the end of the day, are there a few key people that make the major decisions? Because Yeah, there are producers, um, creative directors that make those decisions and... Um, They have hard jobs because they have to make and call decisions that may not be the most popular decision in the book, but uh, it's about cost, saving cost the right way. It's also about leading the team in the best way possible so that everyone feels they're still involved. Um, At the end of the day, it is a team that puts together these attractions, and it's, it's only because of a team of people that make it work, including the whole park. And so in terms of what you can or cannot talk about, I have a question about the um, storybook that comes to life. I see the lights come out of the book 
and I'm wondering how is there a, is, is there a glass screen in front of that? Like, Dwayne, so I, I can't tell you here. how that's done. That's supposed to be magical, and you're just supposed to watch it and appreciate it and enjoy it. You're not supposed to know how it's done. Okay, that ruins the baking of the cake or the final cake at the end, right? I mean, it's like you've been on the haunted mansion, right? Mm-hmm. The haunted mansion's awesome. Keep in mind that the haunted mansion opened in the '60s. Those effects that are there, the ghosts. Tell that story. If I were to show you how that was done, you would see it in a very different, different light every time you rode the attraction. And so, to keep the magic real and preserve it, no, I, I'm not supposed to talk about this. Yeah. Okay. No, it's amazing. It's amazing to that Disney always pushes、uh, technology. I mean, you know, innovates so many things. Yep. And it's amazing what they come up with. Absolutely. So, Josh, what can we look out for during a visit that you think most would miss? You know, in the little corners that people just don't pay attention to. You you mean like in in terms of Shanghai? Yeah, in terms of Shanghai Disneyland. Oh well, so when I was hired on, I worked on Mickey Avenue for a good six months with one of my favorite favorite designers on the planet, a guy named Tim Kirk, who I've worked with off and on for the last maybe twelve years. Very talented guy. We came up with. Concepts were for store windows and、um, little moving animated scenes, kind of like the ones in Disneyland on Main Street.、Mm-hmm. My buddy Chris Merritt took it from there, and he、uh, plus them made them even better. And so, if you go into Mickey Avenue,、um, be on the lookout for all sorts of neat little throwbacks to all the Disney films and Pixar films in the window storefront windows, because unless you're looking, I think you might miss some of them. And I didn't ever get to see final designs on a lot of those. I'll just tell you from where we were with concepts,、um, they were pretty exciting. So, look for those. Also, I don't know. I can only vouch for what I worked, but Gardens of Imagination. I worked on the Twelve Friends Zodiac. Oh,、walls. you did.、Uh, yeah, I worked on those with Doris, and they're beautiful. Um, you know, it's the Twelve Friends Zodiac, and each one of them is represented by a, a, a different Disney character,、mm-hmm. and they're all mosaic glass tiles. I worked in factory with the artisans that built those.、Um, they're beautiful, and there's different gardens to stroll through. Right.、Um, and you've worked you on know, the carousel, and the... I did. I worked on the carousel. Had the pleasure, honestly, of working on that carousel.、It、was an amazing thing. I took the, the boat from Hong Kong up to Guangzhou and factory, and, and got to see those horses get sculpted from beginning to, to finish product, pretty close to final product. So before they were painted, so I spent a lot of time on the carousel and working on other pieces of the carousel, actually in factory as well for sculpt. Some amazing stuff went into that work. Dumbo, I also worked on Dumbo. And I don't know. I think there's so much. That's the thing about a Disney park. There's a lot of detail that you just kind of absorb when you're walking through as a guest. But as a designer, you really think it through. You know, you want certain things to have certain edges and certain quality to help tell the final story. And now that I'm seeing the pictures of final product, because a lot of it I didn't get to see as final product. I saw it in pieces in factory before it was assembled together. So. Looking at the carousel, and the first time I saw the picture, I just wept. It was like,、oh, "Wow,、shit. this thing looks amazing!" You know. Oh, it's it's so nice to see everything come together, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> Same with castle. There's so much to the castle that's incredible. That the producer that I know really well, and and all the artisans that spent so much time on it, and all the AO sculpts, the prints, and all the mosaic tiles. 
there's just a lot to absorb and I think it should be a great experience for any guest that enters and goes and takes the time to really soak it all in, you know? Yeah. You watch videos on YouTube and, you know, everybody features the same park, but every experience is so different. It's not like you watch one video, you know everything about the park. And the way right. it interacts with, with people also makes it different. So that's what's special to me about Disney magic. Absolutely. So where else do we see an Imagineer's work outside of the parks? They like Disney, downtown Disney or oh, sure. Disney Cruise. Well, you just said it. I think Disney Springs is a good example. Restaurant designs. Um, there's some great stuff happening with the Disney Springs redo right now. Uh, I was just there a couple months ago. They and... just opened a town center? What was? Yeah, it? they just opened a town center. Um, but... If you go, there's an Indiana Jones-themed restaurant there right now that it's based off of his buddy who flew the airplane in Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you've seen that film. Right. That restaurant's amazing. It tells a story through more, uh, like many layers of props and different pieces of scenery. And you go in, you can order these you know, beverages and food that is all tells the story of Indiana Jones and his buddy. Wow. So even for the restaurants, Imagineers come in to design, not just attractions. Oh, no, absolutely. Restaurants, um, everything. Downtown Disney, Disney Town in Shanghai was all designed by Imagineers as well. So all the detail that goes into storefronts and um, the facades, all that work, it's all designed by Imagineers. Wow. And on the last note, are there any misconceptions about Imagineers that you'd like to quickly dispel here? <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, how about... I say they're all just very talented people and they work. I've never met a group of people that worked so many hours in my life than the Imagineers. They work hours upon hours upon hours to make sure that the work that they design and the work that they're inputting on is the way it needs to be. So they're pretty dedicated individuals. Awesome. Thanks so much, Josh, for coming on You're the welcome, show. welcome, Dwayne. Of course. And I look forward to visiting Shanghai Disneyland. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I also believe Josh will be featured in an upcoming documentary about Disney Imagineering by Leslie Iwerks coming up later this year. More details, including other interviews with Disney Imagineers from other websites, you can find on the podcast notes at www.facebook.com slash onceuponafairytaletime. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on the Disney Dwayne YouTube channel for more. Till the next time, catch you later. <laughs>